What I do think is important is to have a culture inside of the team where you have enough learning and enough competence to oscillate between an uncomfortable stretch and assured delivery. Hello, everyone. I'm Jerome Goodrich, and you're listening to Collaborative Craft, a podcast brought to you by A-Flight. Today, I'm talking with Paul Pagel, A-Flight's co-CEO and co-founder. We're going to talk about modern software delivery teams, how new technologies are pushing us forward, and what we can learn and apply in our own teams and careers. Paul's backstory gives him an interesting perspective on the broader landscape. After starting his career as a software developer, he spent the last 15 years helping A-Flight partner with teams in more than a dozen different industries. He's overseen the evolution of our apprenticeship program, helping to map the curriculum to broader market trends. And more recently, he's been leading A-Flight into exciting engagements in Web3, data engineering, product design, and more. Paul is passionate about meeting new people and exploring ways for craft software to empower teams. His role as co-CEO provides him with unique visibility into the broader market, while still keeping him grounded in our culture of practice and continual learning. I'm sitting down with Paul to get a bit of a bird's eye view of our industry's landscape, get a better understanding of how the craft of software development is evolving and how that's affecting the industry at large. I can't wait, so let's go talk to Paul. So just to kick things off, Paul, you've been in this industry for, for a long time. I'm curious to get your perspective on what things have changed from when you first started out to where things are now. Yeah, thanks, Jerome. I think that one of the biggest changes that I've seen is that the, the tool chains and frameworks have gotten so much uh, more advanced. When I was learning, there was much more first principle development. And so in order to make a query, you had to understand SQL. And in order to make a complex query, you had to understand really complex SQL. And so now, like so many of the frameworks from either in that circumstance, a data perspective, or if it's an MVC framework that started with Rails for the web, but it, now it's on the front end and we see it in mobile, that there's so much more of the tool chain that guides you to a higher starting place where you don't have to have the individual building blocks that start from the, the simplest forms of raw code and build the mm -hmm. data layer in build the UI layer in, mm -hmm. right? Like so many of those start from such a higher baseline mm -hmm. that the problem domain is more contextualized. Mm. The ability to solve something and get right into the, the context of the problem you're solving is, is just, you're starting from a very different baseline. What I'm hearing is kind of like, because of these tool chains, we get to start at a higher level of abstraction almost. And I'm, I'm curious, am I hearing that right one? And what's the, the, the impact of that? Because to me, it seems like you'd just be kind of solving different problems. 
the impact of software development as a whole is you can accomplish things quicker. And so I think it is more motivating to start a career in software development than it was 20 years ago. I remember my first year of programming was in C++ and it was constant like error-driven or memory leak-driven development, mm -hmm. <laughs> not like now you can do a hello world, build a blog with very simple instruction sets. And so I think that the career itself is more accessible and the first feedback loops are much less frustrating. Uh, and I think that's great for software development because you can really build on some early momentum and get people hooked into the concepts of creation and making something. And there's nothing more motivating than either solving a problem or having a creative effort give you results really quickly. You can jump right into a lot more of like, what is what is the app that has never been built that we are building contextually? Not what technology tools and programs do we need in order to start building this app that solves this problem? Yeah, that's really interesting. I'm wondering what about development is actually different then? What is new and exciting? Or is it just the same with different tools? When I came into programming, the, the goal was to be able to solve whatever problems in front of me, right? And this is like the generalist approach. The, so learn to be polyglot, learn a functional language, a statically typed language, a dynamically typed language, learn one of each one of the different skill sets so that you can at least have approached a similar type problem when you're going into something brand new. And so that idea of generalism as kind of the pinnacle of what I was trying to achieve, I think it's easier to get there with today's tool sets and languages. Hmm. And now what becomes more interesting after is when you start to specialize in whether it's going deeper into data science or whether it's going into uh, security inside of DevOps, that these broad disciplines have segmented further and further and further and allowed for more exploration and more value to be created by deepening those disciplines. And now even some of the best work is actually when you find the intersection of two of those disciplines. And that's where you have strong software architecture and data come together for a data pipeline or data engineering. And so when we have like these polyglot generalist developers mm. and we're able to get specialties and then have them build inside of the intersection. We create this really interdisciplinary workforce. I think that the different problem domains will put different intersections together in that small cross-functional teams that act in this interdisciplinary way can build these, like given the baseline from where they're starting from, can build really large products. And we've seen it time and time again at Eighth Light that you have a team of four to six people building an MVP that is not just a throwaway, low quality application to prove a hypothesis, but something that can actually be built upon in a mission critical setting. I want to kind of dig into that a little bit. You talked about these small cross-disciplinary or interdisciplinary teams. What is the actual makeup of those teams? Who's contributing? The generalist skill set is still 
like the entrance. It's still how you get the ticket to the game. Mm -hmm. And what a generalist skill set says is I've seen enough things that even if I don't know how to solve it, I have confidence that I'm going to be able to solve it mm -hmm. because I've seen something similar or I've seen something and I haven't solved it. And then I had to go back and learn that thing. And I have to come back and solve the problem. Like the, the repetitions of generalist skill sets is much more about building the confidence to know you can solve things in high degrees of uncertainty. Cause that's where most software products are both started and then scaled and then matured. And I think early on in people's career, while they're getting the repetitions for those generalism, they still have a role to play as juniors on a team, getting those repetitions, building that confidence of being able to solve hard problems over and over and over again without knowing what the problem coming that day is. And so they, that's kind of one core role. And then from there, after you have kind of that baseline, I've seen more and more people go into multiple different specialties. And that's oftentimes the leading of curiosity of once you hit a generalist baseline to deliver outsized impact on a team. Oftentimes you have to dig into something that is more specific. I think that's just normal and human knowledge is you have broad knowledge at a superficial level, but to deliver really outsized impact you have to get very specific and very deep and hope that, or hope that that depth that you have done can be brought back to the problem domain. And so because we have such large market signals of skill sets like security, like DevOps, like design thinking, we, we don't have to guess here. Mm -hmm. All of these specialties are important in building products. Mm -hmm. I want to talk a little bit more about this team composition because I find it fascinating. When you consider putting together a team for a particular project, what sorts of things are you looking for in the composition of that team? We start with the domain itself and how complex the subject matter is versus how complex the design is versus how complex the, the development side of it is. But what I do think is important is to have a culture inside of the team where you have enough learning and enough competence to oscillate between kind of like an uncomfortable stretch and an assured delivery. Mm -hmm. If I'm constantly oscillating between not knowing the answer and having the competence to figure it out and solve it, you're creating this positive reinforcement loop for the individual and for the team. Mm -hmm. And so part of that is not just my ability to perform to a problem, but my ability to teach others and create a culture of learning inside where everybody is on a different level of competence or a different journey, but they're able to see the, that solution and incorporate that to where they are in the journey. So the generalists may be learning from people who solved a really hard, very specific problem in incorporating that into their generalist concept. Or you might have a couple of senior folks who are both diving into a really hard problem and getting to the edges of what frameworks do and to the edges of what technology actually does in learning new things about not just the problem or the product they're trying to deliver, but the craft and the technology limitations that exist inside of their industry. Yeah, I love that. It makes me think of like 
like the Tower of Babel. When I envision an interdisciplinary team that doesn't work, I envision a lot of competing ideas coming from a lot of different disciplines that are kind of talking past each other, right? So what sorts of things might prevent that from happening? You talked a little bit about kind of the culture within the team, but I'm wondering if you could kind of elaborate on that. I have a simple equation that I go through, which is if you have learning, you will engage people. And if you have learning plus engagement, that's where the productivity comes from. The highest productivity teams I've ever been on are places where all the members of the team are learning something brand new. And that's creating a sense of engagement and quite honestly, excitement and optimism towards bettering themselves and bettering the product that they're trying to build. And so those become the highest productive team. So it's not like just put together the smartest people and you will have the most productive team. Mm. I think it's really important that you have this mix of engagement and learning. And there's something from Dave Hoover's Apprenticeship Patterns book that I learned a long time ago called Concentric Learning Circles, Hmm. uh, which really helps this culture exist. And that's when somebody who just learned that thing and is doing that that skill set teaches it to somebody who doesn't know it. And so when we think about like, I often hear like somebody wants just a senior team to perform a specific task. I always think this is what's lost is this engagement that's created inside of the team in bettering the individuals in the team. It creates like an excitement from the person who is doing the teaching and an excitement from the people doing the learning. And I think that that connection creates a higher engagement for the whole team. What can we do to cultivate that on a team? I feel like that isn't necessarily something that just happens through the course of, you know, building a product, but is like a really intentional decision made by my, the people in that team. But it also seems like at least to somebody that is looking from the outside in that it could be a waste of time, something that isn't directly related to building that product, something that, why am I hiring these people that are learning this thing as opposed to somebody that already knows it? How do you address those concerns? Well, so Aethelite's values are education, ownership, and humanity. And I I think that's because the intersection of those things are where that in-context learning happens. And so I, I think that, yes, if you are just doing things that are completely outside of building the product and learning, yeah, it's going to look like maybe you're not being that valuable to the overall success and productivity of the product. And maybe you aren't in any short period of time, but in a long period of time. But the real trick is when you can have the intersection of those things, something like, you know, once a week, a mob programming session. We have people of different levels inside of a team solving the similar problem together and sharing that experience where having six people solve a single problem at a, at a point in time probably has, a, yes, a little bit of overhead attached to it, but it is cultivating a learning culture. And so it's not the only example, but it's a really good example. Apprenticeship is another one where if you have somebody pairing with you on what you're doing, but not necessarily con- having a huge contribution themselves, which is what is expected more out of peer-based pairing, you are teaching them, but they are also driving with questions to you 
opening your mind to new ideas throughout the process of whatever problem you're trying to solve. And so I think that there's times where you can get this, like the humanity of people working together, an educational element that is either driven by curiosity or curriculum, and then the ownership of people choosing to connect to each other and also solve the problem in front of them. Like I'm going to put myself into this problem. And so I, I think that those things separately can often look to an organization or any complex system like a waste of time. But I hope, and I try and convince my clients that when you get practices that intersect them and have components of all three of them, they are absolutely creating both the right culture, the right engagement, and the right productivity for your outsized impact. We've talked a lot about the technical aspects of teams. What kind of domain knowledge is required, generalism versus specialists. What I'm curious about is, again, going back to that like idea of the Tower of Babel, what sort of tools or processes or technologies exist that allow for these interdisciplinary teams to come together and work well and build exciting and cool products? I think inside of a team, how much GitHub solves the human coordination problem of complexity in context of the code that's being changed and altered is one of the biggest changes I've seen in software development, right? Like you're having a conversation, it's like a pure, it's a, it's a peer review, but it's a peer critique. It's, and it's in context of the art form, the raw material, the thing that you're building, that you're having these ideas generate on top of each other. And so I think that the like critique and coordination is happening in a much more facilitated manner. What I'm really excited about in the future are things like BuilderDAO, which are taking the concept of decentralized autonomous organization to say, how do we teach in that case it's teaching traditional web developers to become web web 2 developers to become web 3 developers but it's the their organizations that have a vested interest in skilled professionals funding a decentralized organization or a community and then that community puts together ways under which to best teach these skill sets and i think that is an even further push. So what we're seeing is like the entry points to being a developer are better fostered for that early experience to actually help teach these skill sets in, in different techniques. If you have communities that are funding, it's teaching these skill sets to increase people's professional abilities rather than the organizations being responsible for that directly you have a much more empowered group of professionals. We talked about the, the community idea kind of in the context of Web3, but I'm curious, like, how is that, how is that different? How is the builder DAO different from any open source project? Well, I think that having the economics involved in it creates a reward beyond just use or beyond uh, intrinsic motivation to solve problems. It creates a reward mechanism for individuals. Now. I think, well, like, disclaimer, there's, there's plenty to be skeptical about whether that reward mechanism is on solid grounding. Mm -hmm. And, you know, ask me that question in 10 years, 
But today, I'm excited about the idea of somebody creating a query language on top of blockchain as an open source project and the contributors having economic interest in their contributions. I think that's uh, you know a really positive, community-affirming way of working by uh, having the tools that have historically been free for use and free labor to create to be moving into recognizing people's contributions both in status and in economic incentives i i love developers and designers too much to not watch them be rewarded for the fruits of their labor Mm -hmm. is there anything else that we can take away from the way that we're seeing web3 teams be organized and the way that the community is teaching Web3 or, or any other really technologies that, that come to mind. I'm, I'm curious about kind of these technological trends and how they're influencing the way that we, that we, the way that we work. Yeah, so I think some of the ideas of funding open source projects, building communities outside of employers for education, these are all such great things that exist in the world or that don't exist in the world in an easy substitute. I think that there's also a lot in the Web3 world, which is very individualistic. It's not team-based. I think those are, it's hard for existing organizations to find their role inside of such a decentralized community, which is really based around the individual. And so I think that there's some real tensions with how some of the positive aspects of the Web2 world as well of like we've created really great inclusive communities to and in great teams to build amazing software products that are working for organizations together and i see tensions there that aren't being resolved yet so i I do think that software is a team sport Hmm. and how do you show up to many of these things as a team or a team that represents an organization is still unsure. It's such early days that it may just be early, or maybe it's some of the decentralized principles playing out in a way that I don't think is positive for the overall software community. Piggybacking on that idea, you talked earlier about organizations maybe not being structured in a way to support the sorts of things that that these communities of practice can support, right? Do you have any advice for organizations that are trying to change the way that they think? The more they can do to break down the barriers of the walls of their company to create more peer interactions and find ways for individuals to go on journeys learning together, whether it's like a uh, the global day of code retreats or... Uh, so I, I think that the more they can break down and push people out for learning experiences and the more autonomy which is not which is different than space or training the more autonomy inside of the team unit to uh, have learning goals and the ability to achieve those in context of delivery of their delivery commitments and so i think that's one of the 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 big things is that in context learning is the best form of learning right? Going out of context is usually to get more of a baseline of something theoretical or, but it's very different than delivery. 
when you're close to delivery and solving and learning, I think that's where your kind of path to mastery, that's where you really internalize those skill sets. So it almost seems like it's like the, the most effective way for that to, to sort of happen would be almost like a grassroots kind of effort, a particular team taking it upon themselves to go on these learning journeys together uh, and, and kind of show the fruits of the labor. Are there ways or advice that you can give to a team to kind of help facilitate that? and empower themselves to change the organization from within by by doing these things. Yeah, I've been on a couple of teams that did team charters. Mm-hmm. And so they, they created the boundaries of how they were going to act or behave as a team and publishing those, not just, not just holding themselves accountable to that team charter, but also publishing it to teams around the organization or, you know, management of the organization, showing like, this is what you can expect and these are the desired results of those expectations. And so, so you can state immediately, like part of what we are doing is research into, we will be researching and sharing learnings with the rest of the organization. Part of it might be the team charter is focused on improving the health of a particular section of the code base. Then so like, I think that there are these like second level goals of like, why is it that you need that autonomy? Well, set a goal for what you're going to do for it, expose that goal. And then I think it's easier for others to understand what you're doing and whether they agree with the judgment calls or not. It's at least a shared expectation that allows cohabitation and people closer to the work itself have the space to solve the problem that they're optimizing for. But I think a lot of a lot of these things are, are expectations. Like, hmm. you know, management team wants like one set of optimization, delivery team sees an opportunity. How do you create an interface for those two things? To, and I think that team charters are really good ways of like, what do I expect out of my teammates? And what should a management team expect out of me? The last question I wanted to ask you is, what advice do you have for someone that's just starting their career in tech today? I would say find a situation where you can have a mentor, a peer group, and a community that helps supports and motivates you in learning and engagement. I've found that despite when people have started their careers, uh, I think that those are the like three components that really help accelerate skill set accelerate career advancement is having a mentor, a peer group, and a community. And those things can change throughout time. In fact, oftentimes they almost certainly will change, but the mix of having those at any point in time create a support mechanism for inspiration, for like when you don't get too down for like the guide rails to push you contextually in the right direction, like a mentor can, and for widespread understanding in a peer group. So I think those are the three components that I've seen have helped me in the success that I've had in my career. Thanks, Paul. Really appreciate your time. And yeah, thanks for being on Collaborative Craft. Of course. Thanks, Jerome. Excited to be here. Take care. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Collaborative Craft. I want to thank my guest, Paul Pagel, for taking the time to share his perspective and provide a look at where things stand in our industry. 
It is fascinating to me how market dynamics and team dynamics can work together in so many different ways that we don't even think about when we're writing code. Over the next few episodes, we're going to start to pull on some of the threads that Paul and I covered today and going deeper into topics like Web3 and security. We're also going to hear some firsthand examples of how small, interdisciplinary teams across development and design came together to deliver some really exciting products. So please stay tuned. Are there things that you're seeing in your organizations that we didn't cover in this episode? What are some of the ways that you're seeing craft evolve within your teams? Let us know by heading to eighthlight.com slash collaborative craft or tweet us at at collabcraftpod. Please like and subscribe to Collaborative Craft on your preferred podcasting app. If you like a particular episode, share your comments. We'd love to hear from you. And if you know anyone who's curious about craft software and the types of conversations we're having, please tell them about the show. The more people hear about the show, the more we can help others unlock their potential and build a better future together. Thanks again. Bye.